Hello and welcome to Fantasy Life Podcast, Week 18 Questions Edition. I'm your host, Dean Harditz. It's a great day to be great. It's a great day to talk ball, even if some of our fantasy hopes and dreams may have already concluded. And of course, doing so today, me, myself, and I, as well as Chris, the Sensei Storm Chaser, Alan. Chris, our boy, Dwayne McFarlane, cannot make it today. We wish him the best. I'm sure we'll get the crew back here before too long. But you and me, brother, great day to be great. 100%. I know that it's like, it's over. Like, well, not not <laughs> completely over, right? I mean, we're past week 17, but now that we can actually just sit back, think about the year that was, and maybe help some people win a championship. Some folks are playing in those ridiculous leagues that are still going on in week 18. But I'm always happy to talk ball with you, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. No judgment to those so out there in the week 18 mean streets. Guess what? We have free rankings for you over at fantasylife.com and plenty of content to help you get that done. But Chris, I think you and me are probably in the same boat as most out there. And the only thing that still needs to be done in at least my home fantasy league is the last place punishment. So lucky enough, Chris, I haven't had to do this madness since the very first year we started. I was in college, so I was like 11 or 12 years ago now. And Mm -hmm. looking at my poor friend, Tom. So here's the game, Chris. Apparently, Pardon my take originated with this, so I want to give okay. him uh, that credit. So we go to bowling alley. Your target mm-hmm. score is a perfect 300. So okay. you need to roll a 300. You cannot leave until you do that, okay? Obviously, that's impossible. So All what right. you got to do to shave off points from your target score is you can eat hot dogs. That will subtract 10 points from the target score. Or drink mm-hmm. beer. And that will subtract 5 points from your target score. Okay. So my buddy, if he, let's say, eats 10 hot dogs and then also drinks 10 beers, now he needs to bowl a 150 in a complete single game before he can leave. He is so screwed, Chris. I cannot wait. Oh, that's easy. I could do that. What? Are you the are hot dogs? B- 10 hot dogs and 10 beers? Yeah, that score like to score 150? You could do that. How how easy do you think 150 is, man? 150 is easy. Yeah, you could do that. How often do you bowl? Uh well, not that often anymore. But uh <laughs> Christina and I, like we were in a league. Uh we did like a pizza and beer uh, okay. league. Okay. Like I got my like we both have our own balls. This is just we Tuesday night for shoes. the Alan Oh, I mean, yeah, like I think she like typically she could average she could hit a 150. I don't know if she could do it after drinking 10 beers because, you know, she ain't much of a drinker. But like, yeah, after 10 beers, 10 hot dogs, a 150, I think my average was somewhere around like 155, like 160. I think we were bowling. And now I could probably like I could probably like roll out and just do maybe I could probably do like a 140. Uh, like fairly easy, but 150, especially if, you know, if there was like some stakes, you know, on it, you know, got the, you know, get a little hyped, get the adrenaline going, especially, you know, throw a little alcohol in. Yeah, we could probably do that. Yeah. This is going to be in Chicago. So I'll be curious to see what type of hot dogs, you know, he's being first uh, forced to consume. I do think that's going to play a factor, but okay, Chris, I guess I told uh, the wrong guy. I used to be in a bowling league. Now I was the worst member in that league with a 120 average. So for me, even getting close to a 150, particularly after that many drinks and dogs does seem rather daunting, but that's what we got going on over here, Chris. So plenty of other good stuff in the punishment generator. Uh, Matthew Barry, our fearless leader had a funny tweet that he sent out and just had a lot of funny replies with the last place punishment last uh, point i'll make chris i saw one of the replies to matthew's tweet was a guy saying that their friend has to dress up in a penguin outfit go stand outside the penguin exhibit at the zoo and then the buddies in the league are going to feed him you know made up facts about penguins that he has to tell to everyone like they are real i think for a good four hours man that is wow that's tough man i don't think i could do that Uh, that that is a tough one right there that's the one you're 
man, bowling's no problem for Chris, but dressing up in a penguin outfit. No, I, I, like, I out. just don't like, I, I don't know, for some reason, it's just tough for me to get up in front of a bunch of people and just like okay. act a fool. Like maybe, maybe I'm too old. Like maybe if I was a bit younger, <laughs> like if I was in like my late 20s, maybe even early 30s, like I'd probably be like, hell yeah, man, you know, sign me up. Just get, you know, give me a couple of shots or whatever and I'll do it. But now I'm like, I'm 40, man. I just can't be doing that. Like, I don't know. Chris has got children. He can't have them. I got kids. Like I can't here. have that type. Like I can't have my kids like, because you know, like, especially now in the age of everybody's got their phones out whenever, yeah. like, you mean I have to answer to, to my, my daughter and sons about what their dad has had to do. Like, I, I just can't do it. Can't do it. Probably gonna have Peter on you after you know you read yeah, up some made up facts I'd be submitting. So, bunch uh, of madness going on there. Invite you guys if you're still looking for a punishment to check out our very free punishment generator over on fantasylife.com. Chris and myself got to have some fun with that during our Eliminator League, which I think Master Dwayne ended up actually winning. So, kudos to him for that. But, Dwayne. all right, guys, enough of some of that last place nonsense. You're here for some questions, and we got five big ones to break down today. Just reduce it from the normal 10 because I think these are just bigger picture ones that we. We can dive a little bit deeper into so with that let's get after everyone with question number one who has what to play for in week 18 chris it's a good thing we're recording this on thursday because our life has been made easier by most of the teams in question already making their intentions very clear specifically just looking again at the teams i've already clinched a first round by and have nothing to play for the ravens and the 49ers have already confirmed that we will have 2022 Pro Bowl QB Tyler Huntley and then also one Sam Darnold under center in those games. So no surprises there. Also, division is clinched. Life is good. That applies to Kansas City Chiefs, who have confirmed they will be resting Patrick Mahomes. Also expecting Travis Kelsey amongst some other key starters. Teams with some playoff spots already locked up with minimal upside with the seeding movement. We have the Browns and the Rams, both of whom have also already clarified that they will not be using their starting quarterbacks. In the Rams case, we also got word that Kyron Williams, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald will not be in the picture. Looks like they do want to give Puka Nakua that chance to go ahead and break the all-time rookie receiving yards record. And Sean McVay said after that, he will likely be benched. So, Chris, again, those are really the five teams that we know for sure are not going to be doing much. The Browns, the Rams, the Chiefs, and also the Ravens and the 49ers. Now, where do you fall on the Detroit Lions, who, yes, have their division clinched. Life is good. There's minimal reason for them to play. The only way they can move up is if the Cowboys inexplicably lose to the Washington Commanders. Yet, Dan Campbell noted need cap biter aficionado is going out there saying they plan on approaching this game like a usual contest you buy it chris because as much as we all love dan campbell the guy does you know plays aggressive i respect that obviously his players love him doesn't seem like the smartest decision man no no i i can't think i can't believe that they would actually go out and do that now prepare for a game as normal absolutely you can prepare everybody out of practice doing their normal routine and making sure that the players stay in the right mental frame or mental mindset throughout the week i'm sure like once they you know maybe build a lead or even if they find themselves behind i can't really see them keeping everybody out into the game let's think about this already Dave Montgomery, who is like more more or less like the the engine TM like of their backfield at this point, uh, he's been banged up multiple times throughout the throughout the season. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, he missed what one game, two games, uh, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. yeah, one or two. So he's already been injured. Uh, Amon Ra, like he, like luckily, like knock on wood, like he's been able to make it through most of the season without too many injuries. Jamison Williams left last up. week, like with an with an ankle injury. So it's just like they've been hurt. I mean, they've had they've dealt with this like throughout the year. So is he really going to pull 
you know, a, what a Brandon Staley and like have like most of his uh, like his you know, primary pass catchers and or like pers- offensive personnel out there in a meaningless game that will affect what they're going to do uh, throughout the playoffs. I just can't see that happening. I, and this is the this is the same team, to be quite honest, if we're if we're thinking about 2024 and what the Lions are going to do, like after this season, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. Like They're probably going to be put into a situation where are they going to pay? Jared Goff and give him th- this lucrative contract. What are they going to do with, I think Dave Montgomery might be signed through 2024. I'm not sure, but that's worth it. looking into, but at least from a financial standpoint, this might be the year that they have to really like make, make the best of it because after this season, a lot of the decisions that are going to affect their personnel decisions, how they spend in free agency, what they do in the draft, right, all of that is going to kind of hinge on how things play out throughout these playoffs. So I would say that for not just Dan Campbell, but for the rest of the Lions team as a whole, like this should be something where they try and take as much precautions as possible and rest their guys. I'm with you, Chris, and I love that you brought up the Brandon Staley one from last year because remember what happened in that game? Mike Williams got injured, and they had to enter the playoffs at less than 100%. So didn't stop them, obviously, from building a four-touchdown lead in the first half. Sorry, Chargers fans, to remind you guys about that one. But, <laughs> yeah. again, it's just one of those things where, like, yeah, Dan Campbell, if you want to put him up as coach of the year or put him behind Kevin Stefanski, like, I'm not going to argue with that. He's done a fantastic job there, but I just feel like the dude is almost just free from criticism sometimes with going for two from the seven yard line and now potentially doing this where it's like i don't know man i don't think that's actually the, the smartest move to be doing but uh bringing up jared goff like you were saying i am looking at his contract right now shout out to over the cap.com and if the lions do choose to trade him or cut him at pretty much any point after the season they would only inherit five million of dead money and they would save almost 27 million against the cap so this is not a russell wilson type of deal where if you're looking at moving on from the quarterback you're absolutely absolutely nuking your cap sheet they actually could do it so no i'm not saying they should do it if you look at the free agent quarterbacks chris i mean it's kirk cousins and who knows if he's going to be healthy or leave minnesota in the first place and then after that man we're talking about ryan Tannehill, jacoby Brissett, tyrod taylor Jameis winston and drew lock like okay we can have some fun if we keep going down the list there but there's not really going to be many if any franchise quarterbacks that would serve as an upgrade over jared goff in detroit obviously with them likely having a pick definitely having a pick i should say outside the top 20 probably shouldn't be expecting a franchise quarterback to be walking down there so if anything chris it seems like they'd have to swing you know a massive trade out there and i don't really see any candidates man like maybe a kyler murray but i feel like jared goss could be the starter in 2024 because i don't know who they would upgrade with no it doesn't seem like there's going to be like a ton of options at least from the free agent market now like you were just mentioning they wind up with a back of the first round pick i mean do they go for one of the lesser quarterbacks that are coming out of this out of this draft class i know like drake may caleb williams like there's going to be the cream of the crop from this draft class but could a guy like a uh, bo Penix, like could that or a bonix or like a <laughs> Penix, like be like you know a part of yeah. like their their game plan like for 2024 i mean there are other i think there are like what maybe four five ish quarterbacks that could potentially go jj mccarthy like, could be in that yeah, conversation as well it's a good five. exactly yeah. so it's like there there are multiple paths for them to do it but it, there's no path for them to sustain their success from 2023 to 2024 in this draft class at least realistically so unless they are trying to move up 
in order to get like May Williams, which seems highly unlikely at this point. It seems like their best, their more realistic path to them is to stick with Jerk off. That means you're probably paying him or giving him a similar like Daniel Jones like type contract. And then hoping that whatever they can like uh, like draft in uh, this class, like in the 24 class, like winds up being the, the successor and they can maybe move on from him like after 24 and maybe have somebody available in 25, potentially. It's not all that dissimilar from, I think, the same situation the Rams were looking at a couple years ago where they right. had the team that they believe could win a Super Bowl and they just weren't sure if golf could be the man to get them over that hump. So just like the Rams, the Lions have been able to post, you know, consistent top 10 scoring offenses over each of these past two years. The question is, again, can golf actually go ahead and get you that one final win of the year? And I don't know, Chris, we've seen guys like, you know, Flacco go on heaters, you know, even before uh, the present time that we now uh, live in here with it. So golf off. Again, I do think he should be that guy. And honestly, uh, it just comes down to the reality that I don't think there really is a Matthew Stafford upgrade out there for them to have. Because again, Chris, like Kyler and Justin Fields, I think those are the two guys where if everything goes right, like you can argue they have the higher, you know, overall ceiling than what golf is bringing to the table. But I don't want to go bring in Russell Wilson or Derek Carr or someone like that, who's probably at this point, not even probably, they are worse than Jared Goff at this point in time. And again, just going through the rosters around the league, I think that's probably like the big four quarterbacks that you can even dream about getting in a trade. So good stuff there. And again, we will see if the Lions are going to be fully going out there with their starters. I believe the line has been changing a little bit, Chris. So Vegas, you know, does tend to know a bit more than we do about these situations. So if you are out there in the DFS streets or trying to put a little wager on the Lions, I would at least do so under the pretense that things could change a bit. And they did go ahead and, oh, actually, no, it's moving in the other direction, Chris. They're now three and a half point favorites. They opened at two and a half. Oh, gun to your head, Chris. Are we expecting the Lions to play their starters until the game is decided? Uh, yes, till the game is decided. Absolutely. I think that's where I'm at. And which I'm could be, you know, probably in the first couple of quarters, to be quite honest. Yeah. It really could be. So expecting the Lions and again, those other teams that will not be doing it, the Ravens, the 49ers, the Chiefs, also the Browns and Rams. So there are a handful of teams completely eliminated from playoff contention where you now have to worry a bit more about it. Specifically, we actually have the Bears, Broncos, Bengals and Raiders who have just recently been eliminated. So it's a bit tougher to look at, you know, weeks 15, 16, 17 usage and immediately apply that moving forward. But really the only note I've seen from only two notes I've seen from these just purely eliminated teams the Panthers uh, we have a report that their healthy starters are not expected to be rested the commanders though Chris we actually did get a note that the vibe around the team is that they could be out there and am I out there I mean on the bench the veteran players that is let me pull up that specific report. That was from JP Finley over with NBC Sports. Yeah, his exact quote. I get the vibe. A lot of commanders veterans won't play this weekend. So when you guys are out there setting those uh, lineups, just make sure you keep, you know, an extra eye on that. Because, you know, in the year 2024, you cannot score fantasy points without being on the field. Thanks a lot, Biden. All right, Chris, question number two now. Who are your top five current rookie wide receivers ahead of next season? Because lo and behold, man, this was an absolutely loaded class, had a lot of talent. And just going back kind of to August, think about it. Almost every single person out there had their wide receiver. One is Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Their wide receiver, two is Jordan Addison. Seemed fine then. But Chris, as I'm starting to look ahead to 2024, I'm not so sure either of those guys are going to be in the top five. No, and... I was thinking through this, like not just I looked at it from not just top five guys from a even like a fantasy perspective, but I list I rank them as the top five guys that I would feel most comfortable drafting. Okay. So I'm trying to also get a feel for 
ADP over the over this upcoming off season, and then also what their skill level, like their production, their utilization. I mean, all of those things. So meshing both of those things together, uh, my my top five as of right now. Right? You want to go like let's let's go back and forth. Okay. Uh, like who's my my number one right now is is still Puka. Like Gotta I think be. I think for uh, from a uh, like cost independent. Because I, I think he's probably going to be like a first, second rounder, like somewhere in there. I, that's that's my guess. An early round pick, let's just say there. Like, I think he's going to be like in the first first three rounds. You're going to have to pay for Puka, but I do not care. But <laughs> over over twenty five percent target share, uh, damn near thirty percent of the team's air yards, twenty seven percent like targets per route run rate. Uh, like while it's entirely possible that he, I mean, it's entirely possible that he's not going to have a another 14, 1500 yard season. Uh, the Rams might scale back or at least like they might take a step back, you know, efficiency wise, or maybe they might like still be like relatively efficient, like who knows, but let's just say that he doesn't have the same season that he does this year, but from the opportunity that he's been able to earn in this offense from a rookie perspective, I like cost independent. Like, I don't care. Like Puka is still my number one. I don't think it's that dissimilar from what we had to go through with Amon Ross St. Brown a few years ago, where it's a guy that puts up big time numbers and an offense where, yeah, okay, we can look around. And I personally don't think Puka or even Amon Ross St. Brown are top five real life talents at the position. But guess what? We're not drafting teams for real life. We're doing fantasy. So when you have a Jared Goff or a, my God, a Matthew Stafford, I mean, look at the amount of just amazing wide receiver seasons that he's been able to enable uh, throughout his entire career. I do think that's enough for us to go ahead and keep on trusting this guy moving forward so again with puka i mean the ppr wide receiver seven on a per game basis this year 2.59 yards per out run like that is up there with jamar yeah. chase odo beckham jr and chris Olave as like the single best rookie mark of the past decade plus so i'm with you chris i think we will have some debate about okay just how much was that you know cooper cup being banged up but man you know a good 11 12 weeks of those two guys being out there and at a minimum they were breaking even more so as again just partners or even versus a 1A, 1B situation. So I'm with you, Puka Nakua. I know, I know, doesn't have the draft capital, but at this point, Chris, what does it matter? We've seen the guy go out there, and I just, I get so frustrated when you continue to hold this talent thing over guys with low draft capital. Like, is Kyron Williams, like, still not talented? How many touchdowns do they need to score until they are deemed to be talented by some of these freaking weirdo fantasy analysts, Chris? So I know that, you know, describes us as well to a large extent. But (laughs) long story short, I'm with you, Puka number one. Who are you taking at number two? Uh, I'll take Tank Dell number. Assuming health, right? I mean, he yeah. was injured like relatively late into the season. Worth tracking like over the off season to see like how his rehab is going. Does he still have the explosiveness? Does the speed still there? Capable of create like winning in contested catch situations. I mean, all the things that we saw throughout uh, like his rookie his rookie season. But I think it's not just the fact that he instantly came in and was earning targets. I mean, not to say that's hard, relatively speaking, to earn targets over Robert Woods, uh, John Mechie coming back, like mm-hmm. from, uh, like uh, from, uh, was it like Hodgkin's lymphoma? Like if yeah. I'm remembering right. Uh, I mean, it wasn't difficult, like in that offense, considering the relative talent around him in order to become like the number two, like alongside Nico Collins. But the fact that he was doing it, but also still being up there in terms of both like yards per route run, uh, targets per route run rate. I mean, all of that, like top 12, like top 16, like hitting a lot of those marks that he wasn't just like number two on his team, but he was like he could be considered a a wide receiver two or top 24 wide receiver, like in the entire league. 
So the explosiveness is all there. And of course, being tied to CJ Stroud in what we believe to be a like a highly efficient offense with Bobby Slowick, uh, like turning the turning the dials for it. I think still continuing to invest in that offense and thinking about like the ADP again for uh, like for last, uh, like for this upcoming season, I do think that there's going to be like a lot of the injury uncertainty that mm-hmm. will allow him to fall in drafts, not fall to like, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th round, mm-hmm. but at least a discount to the point where if we are able to get him, let's say in the, I don't know, fifth, sixth round, I'm like, I'm just trying to feel things out at this point. But I think if he's available, like in that area of the draft, because I'm thinking Nico Collins is probably going to be like in the fourth, like third, fourth round, like potentially. That all I'd, sounds pretty right to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think that's where if like Tank is like more of a mid round pick than an early round pick, I will definitely be investing in him just considering what we saw out of him in his rookie year. And what we did see there at the end, man, absolutely breathtaking. And we're talking about the PPR yeah. wide receiver, 2, 13, 3, and 21 before he had that season-ending injury. So a lot of bye weeks were going around then, to be fair. But I remember ranking him inside the top 12 ahead of some, you know, just the veteran dominator, you know, elite dudes that we've had there forever. But Dell was, again, doing good enough to go ahead and overcome that. So having Nico Collins, obviously, you know, in the same offense, to go take away from that. I wouldn't be shocked if the Texans use a, you know, pricey free agent or just an early round draft pick to add another wide receiver to this room lest we forget you know chris i don't think people were ranking this a uh, group of pass game options inside the top five going to this year in fact i think you had good reason to rank them as one of the worst groups in the league funny how cj Stroud can help turn a lot of that around but in regards mm-hmm. to the injury i do want to give a shout out to Excuse me for messing up your name, man, but I have messed up one too, so I'm going to give myself a little bit of a break. Uh, Deep Gachona at Sport MD Analysis, fantastic account. You guys should absolutely follow. And he went out and said shortly after the injury that he will likely need surgery, which was confirmed. His average return, though, just four months, and the data projects no lingering impact by the start of the 2024 season. So, Again, Chris, I've been clear on this. I am not a doctor, but I do think when you get the breaking of bones as you know nasty as that can be, you almost do have more clear-cut recovery than sometimes when the ligaments get involved and stuff like that. Have you kind of picked up on that vibe over the years? I think so, because, yeah, I, like, what was it? Um, almost every player that's torn their ACL, they almost need, like, it's that first season back, and then, yeah. like, we, we see them kind of, it takes them a while to ramp up because it's almost like a, a feel type of thing. Whereas like with uh, like they have to like it's almost like being uh, like more comfortable in your own mm-hmm. body, like that sort of thing where it's like cutting and, you know, doing that explosive nature like and all of that with bone breaking. It is like, again, not a doctor, uh, <laughs> like more simplistic in nature. Whereas, you know, if the, as long as the bone heals, it structurally sound like you're capable of doing the things that you're supposed to be uh, supposed to do. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Like, so if it had like, so according to uh, Dr. Chona, I think that is entirely possible that he'll be back in the off season or like over the summertime. And maybe we are like capable of getting again, part like a potential injury mm-hmm. discount. And to your point, if they wind up bringing in, let's say another, uh, like say a free agent or something like that, yeah. creating just a little bit of uncertainty, uh regarding like what the pass catching unit is going to look like yeah i think that's where it's like i'll I'll continue to like you know click on tank dell like throughout the offseason for sure there are some free agent wide receivers classes a bit better than the quarterbacks mike evans obj curtis samuel tyler boy at the top of the list in terms of what they were making in 2023 also got guys like dj chark i yeah, T. Higgins is down there as well. Calvin Ridley mm-hmm. even there. So, yeah, a bunch of uh, good options that certainly could, again, help probably be an improvement over Robert Woods, at least at this stage in his career. So, Tank Dell, Chris's wide receiver, two for next year. 
my wide receiver three because I am going to give Rasheed Rice just the slight edge here over Tank Dell. Travis Kelsey, will he or will he not be back? We'll see. But hey, even with him still out there this year, we have seen Rice absolutely come on so strong down the final stretch of the season. And we're talking about PPR wide receiver 43. Three, 22, 7, 8, 35, and most recently 15 finishes over these past seven games following their week 10 bye. So really does seem like Mahomes has leaned on Rasheed Rice more than ever down the stretch. And guess what? He's made great things happen with it. He's got the underlying efficiency numbers. I mean, ESPN's advanced stats paint him as the league's second best receiver in yards after the catchability behind only Debo Samuel. I would pray, Chris, that the Chiefs are not done adding wide receivers in this room throughout the draft and free agency. So again, similar to Tank Dell, this could change, you know, depending on who they're going to add to the room. But just at the surface, man, if I'm looking at Tank Dell in Houston, like, okay, Houston led by Stroud, Chiefs led by Mahomes. Let's call it a wash pretty close in terms of just expected passing production from both offenses. You know, looking at Rasheed Rice. I guess he would still be the 1B most likely to Kelsey. Tank Dell's the, you know, 1B probably to Nico Collins. It's really close. If anything, Chris, I'd say Puka's for sure my one, and then I'd have Rasheed Rice and Tank Delmore as 2A, 2B, because I think the gap between them and some of the other guys is a bit wider. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I had him as my wide receiver five, like out of this class. And, but that's but that's just because of the uncertainty for next year. Like, that's could they, like, because there's just no way. Uh, this wide receiver class, <laughs> like, coming up in 24 is actually, like, it's pretty solid. I would uh, I'd have to go through like the like uh, like been trying to catch up on the dynasty stuff and like also like the draft profiles as we start to get more into the offseason. I'm thinking between like at least five, like five to ten, like legitimate, like day one, day two, like wide receivers, like first three rounds. I can see at least like 10 to 11, like being drafted. So does Brett Veach, especially after this season, does he go like full like Green Bay Packers and they just draft like two to three like wide receivers grab a couple of tight ends so they wind up with their tucker craft luke musgrave uh dobbs christian watson uh-huh. Jaden reed i mean they just go they just like they just go full scorched earth in terms of like like making sure that patrick mahomes has as many pass catchers as possible i mean who's just and especially if travis kelsey winds up hanging them up after this season it would only incentivize them even more to make sure that they have reliable wide receivers or just receivers in general for Patrick Mahomes moving forward. So that's, that's my only concern because Rashi Rice, like while he has played well throughout the season and to your point, I mean, all the metrics show that he was able to come on through over the back half of the season. We saw him get up to that 90% route rate that we wanted, wanted him to targets have been there. Air yards have started to come on as well. My only concern is that he's only been operating in the shallow area of the field. I mean, his average depth of target has been around like five, six yards. So it's like if they bring in, let's say, I'm not going to like say like who's the top wide receiver in this class, but let's say they wind up getting like one of those types of guys or hell, even though this is going to hurt me deeply, let's say they throw the bag at T Higgins and they wind up getting a guy like him to come in and be their wide receiver one. Like then that's where it's like, okay, now we know who's going to be the field stretcher. We know who could essentially could come in and take a lot of those targets that uh, Rice was going, was going to get and then be the team's wide receiver one. And so does that take away from a guy like Rice? So that's what those situations are kind of playing in my mind a bit. So while he has been the target earner for the Chiefs this year, still attached for Mahomes this year, like does that 
change depending on who they bring in for 2024. And that's my only concern for Rice at this point. They better at least try to make some of those moves, Chris. Because, I mean, we really are going on like five or six years at this point of the Chiefs just whiffing time and time again with one mm-hmm. pass catcher after another. Hey, getting Tyreek where they did, and honestly, there's a reason why he went as low as he did in that one. So you can kind of even put – Hard to give them too much benefit of the doubt with that, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but man. just, again, afterwards, man, we're talking about wide receivers drafted since 2017. Jehu Chesson, bad start oh, when I can't I pronounce know. the guy's name. Uh, Trayvon Smith, Miko Hardman, Cornell Powell, and Sky Moore, in addition to Rasheed Rice. So Rice is the only one. I guess Miko as well had a couple good games there. But, man, lacking production there, especially when you start looking at the wide receivers they have paid. That big Sammy Watkins contract, the MVS deal looks worse and worse by the day. Okay, Juju got the ticky-tack hole when he needed it in the Super Bowl. Fine, but not exactly hitting, you know, good on this. And behind Travis Kelsey, hopefully Noah Gray is ready to step up because otherwise, man, again, we have seen how bad this offense can look, even with objectively one of the best quarterbacks in the world under center. So, all right, Chris, you said you have a she rice wide receiver five. Who's filling in, uh, you know, three through four. I've got Jaden Reed and Zay flowers. Uh, like, okay. uh, we got the same top five then. Okay. All right. So there's just a different, yeah. So I would say for, for Jaden Reed, just the, the fact that I think when he came into this season, the fact that he was going to work like in, in the slot, I think a lot of it, uh, especially with Christian Watson, uh, being the target earner that he was like throughout his rookie campaign, also having Romeo Dobbs. So it's like you've got two legitimate options, like working the perimeter, yeah. Watson being that hybrid type of guy that can work both inside and outside, target earner, so on and so forth. Where's the work going to be for Jaden Reed? And with Watson continuing to be injured, but also even when Watson was on the field, uh, like Reed's like targets per route run rate were still fairly stable. And then of course, now that Watson has been out even longer, we started seeing Reed being used like out of the backfield as well. So yeah. Having that, I guess, uh, like having multiple avenues to earning touches within that offense. And now also seeing that offense starting to peak at the right time, which is something we'll talk about in a little bit, but like the way that he started to develop with Jordan love, I think that's going to be a connection that we're going to be talking about for quite some time. So I really do like like Jaden reads, not just his outlook for, uh, for this season, but also like from a dynasty standpoint over the next like two, three, four seasons with just how quickly he's been able to catch on in that offense and how quickly they've been able to incorporate him, not just into the passing game, but just into the entirety of the offense as well. It really is, you know, pretty similar usage for Zay Flowers and Jaden Reed this year. Both guys have been able to prove they can win downfield, not just in a gadget capacity, but also, guess what? Given those gadget touches, and they're going to make good things happen as a rusher and receiver. So my top five, again, it's Puka, Rasheed Rice, Tank Dell, Zay Flowers, and Jaden Reed. Chris has the same dudes, just a slightly different order, which means we've both left out Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison. So in Addison's case, you know, it really is just really dependent on the quarterback they're going to have, but only so many targets to go around behind Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson. Obviously saw Addison score a ton of touchdowns this year and make a ton of great plays. But again, living life, you know, with 90 targets or so per year, just going to be tough to rank him too highly. And a similar sentiment is true for Jackson Smith and the Jigba. I mean, unless we see DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett leave the picture, it's going to be tough to expect too much different in 2024 and beyond. 
Chris, I went ahead and just made a chart uh, yesterday. These are the things I get, you know, more time to do once all the fantasy squads are already done. And again, I think just based on the performance uh, this season, like just in terms of the order of where the guys were scoring, Puka, Tank, Jaden Reed, Rasheed Rice, Zay Flowers, like, oh, okay, we picked the top five guys that finished this year for next year. Funny how that works out. After that, though, Addison, Josh Downs was creeping in there. Only yep. a problem is that we're probably going to see more of a run first offense as they transition back to Anthony Richards. So again, good stuff from Downs, but I just have my concerns again, moving from Minshew back to Richardson, more from a fantasy perspective. Then there's JSM. Maybe Michael Wilson can show out a little bit more with a full season from Kyler, you know, obviously flashed a little bit, but has the concerning target earning ability there. The two guys here, neither of them were in the top 60, but they had really good underlying numbers, Chris, both in terms of yards per route run and targets per route run. Any Mingo? guesses? Not Minko. Definitely not Minko. Uh, so let's see. I'm trying to think of like who the other guys then. Um, One of them is on AFC East team. Pop Douglas. Yep. Good job. Pop Douglas. 1.88 yards per route run. 24% targets per route run. That is on par with Jaden Reed and even higher than Tank Dell. I know it's New England. It's a disgusting offense. He also scored zero touchdowns. So pretty much Jacoby 2.0 right now. He stands <laughs> out. Chris, the other one is a teammate of someone we've already talked about. Hint, hint. Uh, teammate of somebody we already talked about. Uh, is it Jaden Reed's teammate? Yes, sir. Uh, Wicks. Don Tavian Wicks. Over two yards per route run, 19% targets per route run. And I'll just say a uh, shout out to our very own uh, Jake for actually calling this out. And we talked to him a bit ago and just, you know, pointing out that Don Tavian Wicks out there really is balling. So I know earlier in the year, he was just drawing a ton of deep DPIs, you know, really was being used more in that fuel stretching gadget capacity. He's not the same size as Khalif Raymond or anything, but it was kind of like that role in Green Bay. But once the injury started stacking up, he had to go out there and just be more full-time receiver and he looked good doing it unfortunately he's been dealing with some end of season injuries and things just haven't quite gone his way so i'm not saying he's going to leap romeo dobbs in the depth chart or anything like that and again i'd expect new england to make a ton of changes as uh there as well but yeah pop douglas and Octavian wicks those are the two guys looking ahead to 2024 that maybe could do more with a larger role that's at least what their underlying say you mentioned mingo obviously really big disappointment there chris especially considering like he had the role he wanted for the entire year just couldn't quite get that connection down with Bryce Young obviously the other big miss though was Quentin Johnston sitting down there as the lowly yeah. wide receiver 85 this season in PPR points per game and that's the problem here man like look if they had just been the whole season, he doesn't play much because Mike Williams, Keenan Allen are balling and Joshua Palmer is just good enough to keep him on the bench. I could have lived with that. But when literally all those guys get hurt and we're just seeing one game after another of him not doing anything. Quentin Johnston, Chris, I'm not saying I won't throw out those, you know, round 16, round 17 darts if he's available there. But I have a feeling people are going to try to talk themselves into him again. And honestly, man, the track record of these wide receivers just doing nothing as a rookie. And honestly, even the guys that have gotten hurt, like just looking ahead after that, really, really, really not good. I certainly think not to bring up any, you know, scars for you here, Chris, noted Bengals fan. But I definitely think Quentin Johnson, far more of a John Ross type than someone like Jamison Williams. Or maybe we could expect, you know, bigger and better things to uh, yeah, because I can almost I, I can almost hear myself talking myself <laughs> into drafting Quentin Johnston in the let's say the early to mid teens in, in best ball over the offseason. Because yeah. think about it, he'll have the 
uh, like attached to a good offense. I mean, we still mm-hmm. think, I mean, despite all the, the failures, uh, you know, for the Kellen Moore, Justin Herbert, it's going to be all oh, this like massive passing revival and never really happened. Uh, but still attached to a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quentin Johnson, assuming he starts to develop, gets another year under his belt. He's going to be that archetype of receiver that most folks will want to target in the late rounds. Where is he typically going to be targeted at? Like deep downfield, he's going to be that home run hitter, that Darius Slayton archetype of wide receiver that, yeah. oh yeah, they're only going to get three maybe-ish targets like per game or whatever. But if he hits, it's going to be for like 80 yards and a touchdown. So it's Stop the guy it, that you're going to Talk me hurt. back into him. I don't want it's to do like this, spike, man. Like <laughs> week central. It's going to be QJ like all day long. And who's the guy that you're going to want like throughout the fantasy playoffs no. that you're going to be drafting late in your late in your drafts that has spike week potential. It's going to be a guy like Quentin Johnston. So I, I can like I'm already like I'm already there. Like I've already burned <laughs> like six hundred dollars on like on best ball mania five drafts. Uh, you know, of just drafting Quentin Johnston in in the teens. Like, I'm already there, brother. So it's just like, I'm going to need everybody else to come with me because it's probably going to happen. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be that guy. Just like, yep, it's going to be Quentin Johnston's going to be the guy you need. <laughs> just like for this season, I thought Michael Gallup was going to be the guy that you needed in week oh, 17. Man. That did not work out for me. So it's going to be, I'm just going to like, just keep swinging on that archetype of receiver and it's just going to lose me money. So like my kids are going to go hungry in 2024. Really, really optimism, uh, you know, going through there with Chris and Quentin Johnston. Keep that Allen family fed, my brother. All right, let's move on to question number three, guys. What offenses are peaking at the right time? Chris, you know, I don't think we need to go through all 32 and assess the ups and downs specifically. I think there are four teams where inarguably we can say that they are playing their best football of the year at the right time, at least on the offensive side of the ball. They are the Green Bay Packers. I mean, looking at the last six weeks, they've scored 29, 27, 22, 20, and most recently 33 points in back-to-back games. I mean, Mm -hmm. only the 49ers and the Ravens have a higher EPA per play than the Packers during this, you know, arbitrary timeline. But still, the fact that they're doing this without Christian Watson, with Jaden Reed in and out, Dontavian Wicks in and out, Luke Musgrave has been out of the picture, Aaron Jones still has barely looked like himself all season long. I mean, the Jordan Love experience, Chris, it really has been going incredible. And just looking at him from more of a first-half, second-half type of player, I mean, weeks one through eight we're talking about 24th or worst in yards per attempt completion rate passer rating pff pass grade weeks nine through 17 man which is a solid nine game stretch third in pff pass grade seventh in completion rate third in passer rating 12th in yards per attempt this packers offense man you can complain about them not having a first round wide receiver all you want but their second and third rounders are playing like first rounders and jordan love is looking every bit like that first round franchise quarterback that he was drafted to be a half decade ago Exactly. And I think that's what like, it's so hilarious to think like at the beginning of the season, what did they, they came out like gangbusters, like the first like two, three weeks and everybody's like, oh my gosh, like they got rid of Rogers. They got love in here and the Packers did it again. And then they have that lull, like where they completely like drop off. They have multiple injuries. We see Aaron Jones going out, like to your point, like no Christian Watson, they're relying on the rookies. But I mean, if we're already talking about like Jaden Reed is being like one of the guys that we want to draft next season. Dontavian Wicks. I mean, hell, Bo Melton, like coming out of nowhere yeah. and being like the, you know, one of the guys that they've been able to rely on. And Tucker Craft instead of Luke Musgrave. It's like they have so many pieces to their offense outside of their running backs that we've come to rely on for fantasy purposes. I mean, why wouldn't we want to continue uh, like investing in them like throughout the playoffs? Right now, over the past month, uh, they're third in average yards per drive. 
I mean, top five also, like like you mentioned earlier, in EPA per mm. play. I mean, they're, they've been playing, I think, good ball on offense. And of course, because their defense has been lacking, it at least creates a situation that is great for fantasy purposes. So yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think their offense is one of those, like, they get into the dance, they get into the playoffs. I mean, they could probably make a decent amount of noise in the NFC. Facing the Packers for the right to get into the playoffs in Week 18. Obviously, uh, I said the Packers. They're facing the Bears, excuse me, everyone. And Justin Fields adding a bit of fuel to the rivalry by saying their fans are going to be loud because there's not much to do in Green Bay except watch football. No lies told, Chris. Sometimes I mean, the I, truth hurts. Is on. I haven't been to Wisconsin, but I just have to assume that that's true. I live in Columbus, Ohio, so I really probably shouldn't be talking all that much shit about not having much to do. Uh, that said, go Buckeyes. The Cleveland Browns, Chris, on an absolute heater here of late with Joe Flacco playing some of his best football of his career. This hasn't really been the case throughout his entire stretch as a starter. I went ahead and just looked at the best quarterbacks by week in EPA per play over these past five games. And in weeks 13 through 15, we're talking about Flacco ranking 26, 17, 31st with negative marks each and every time. These last two weeks, though, fifth and 15th and i can't stress enough like how good even the 15th mark is at plus you know 0.169 it was just a matter of a lot of quarterbacks really playing efficiently there in week 17 so overall just over the past two weeks if you look at the epa and cpoe composite score which is a fancy way of saying their offense is making really good things happen and the quarterback is being more accurate than expected we're talking about the league's sixth best quarterback over these past two weeks and chris just the fact that when you add some context the week 17 game against Sauce Gardner and the Jets without Amari Cooper. And honestly, they pretty much just took the second half off. I mean, when you talk about teams you don't want to see in the playoffs, it's looking like the Browns because, oh yeah, they might have the single best defense in the league on the on the other side of the football. So really, man, one of the most inexplicable storylines I saw um I even Ben Axelrod, fellow uh, Dublin Jerome High School alum, shout out. But uh, with uh, the Browns, like this might legit be their most fun storyline of the past like 25 years, Chris, ever since they kind of came back to Cleveland after the uh, OG Browns obviously moved mm -hmm. to Baltimore. Can you think of a better one? Like I think the Baker rookie year, kind of even like second year stuff, you know, that was a fun time at least for a little bit with the optimism there. But in terms of Raw winning the team on the field and like immediate hope, it's been pretty awesome for Browns, uh, Browns Nation. Yeah, I'd say for a single moment, the best as I can that I can remember being like an Ohio sports fan was that game where Baker comes in. Uh, who did he replace like during the game? Was it Tyrod? Was it, was it, was it Tyrod? Yeah, yeah. He replaces places Tyrod. They win the game and they show like fans streaking into bars to break <laughs> open the coolers or whatever because they had the locked Bud Light coolers. Beer <laughs> Bud Light coolers. So like. That's a good single moment, but in yeah. terms of sustained success, yeah, I'd have to agree. Like we haven't seen this type of, I mean, this type of winning, like they've been able to string together wins. Don't get me wrong, but the fact they've been able to make these statement wins, I mean, 300 yards passing for Joe, uh, for Joe Flacco in every game that he started, like, no, except, yeah, I think almost every game that he started so far, at least the past four. So it's like he has done more from a quarterbacking per, uh, perspective than any of the quarterbacks that have started so far, like for the Browns this season. So, I mean, yeah, like they, there's no way around saying that Flacco has been just an absolute godsend for, for the Browns passing game. And as much as it hurts my Cincinnati fandom, but I think it's great for, for the Browns to be able to find uh, like a, a, like an answer quarterback that's been able to play complimentary, complimentary football to this defense. That's just been a complete world beater. 
it is interesting when you look back in Baker's career a little bit more with the hindsight, because, I mean, look, for him to get that first playoff win against the Steelers since, what, 94 or something that was going on there, I mean, that yeah. was a hell of a moment. And then to go into Arrowhead, man, in 2020 and only lose they by five. They almost did They almost did it, did yeah. it man. And then even yeah. 2021, dude, they go out there week one again in Arrowhead, lose by four points. And that week two game was like the second quarter. That's when Baker tears his labrum, man. Like if yeah. Baker had just said, I literally tore the labrum in my throwing shoulder. I can't play football the rest of the year. I don't think they would have had a choice, but to go back to him in 2022 and beyond and just right. based how he's played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy how just one injury can change an entire team, an entire player's outlook. Good to see Baker, though, you know, bacon in Tampa Bay, at least for this season. Go get that playoff spot and go get your money, man. Two more squads. Chris, the Los Angeles Rams will not be playing Matthew Stafford this weekend where you mm -hmm. get the Carson Wentz experience. But my goodness, he has this team grooving at the right time. Weeks one through nine certainly wasn't a bad offense, but they were 13th in EPA per play, 10th in yards per play. Weeks 11 through 17, though, after getting healthy following their bye, fifth in EPA per play and second in yards per play. We're talking about an offense that has scored 37, 36, 31, 28, 30, and 26 points over the last six games, racking up at least 390 total yards in each and every game. Get your popcorn ready for this possible Rams-Lions matchup, Chris. I want it so bad. This is the same offense that has now made Demarcus freaking Robinson fantasy relevant. So yes, it has to be one it has to be one of the best squads like in the entire NFC. So I mean, I I definitely came into this season uh, trying to avoid as many Rams as possible. Like you you draft Cooper Cup at cost until we heard about the the ankle stuff. Uh, Stafford maybe uh, because the Week 17 correlation because they were going to be playing against the Giants. Uh, I, Tyler Higby as a as a late round tight end, but outside of that, I was not a believer in the like I wasn't drafting Puka Nakua. That's on me. Tyron Williams. Also, I wasn't following the the beat right uh, the beat writers and and the hype uh, around Kyron, uh, considering he was going to be behind Cam Akers. So it was just like so many things, like so many clues. Like now looking at like hindsight being twenty twenty that. A lot that would have allowed us to be like better fantasy managers, but to see this explosion with Sean McVay, I mean, really like emphasizing how, how good of a head coach he is. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So, I mean, hats off to him for sure. Look, kudos to Jordan Rodriguez, excellent um, reporter. She's even got a new article out on Stafford's, like some of his trick shots and stuff. That's a great read. I invite everyone to check that out. And she absolutely nailed, uh, again, the Kyron Williams call back there in August. So, like, there really is something to be said about paying attention to this stuff. But, mm -hmm. Chris, you know, let's not pretend like we were hearing some similar stuff going on about Cam Akers in 2022. It's not an end-all, be-all. Every single one of these, you know, beat reporter uh camp notes is going to end up being what happens and comes to fruition. I mean, I just remember everyone freaking the hell out when Daryl Henderson ended up working ahead of acres there in 2022. Oh, so yeah. in hindsight, I think it's a lot easier to say, Oh yeah. Why would we trust acres? Sean McVay and him were already feuding so much. And like, yeah, we should have viewed Kyron more. Who cares? He only had 30 total yards as a rookie. Look at his, you know, fifth round pass catching profile. So, Hey, again, for those of you that got that right, you probably want a fantasy championship because I believe Kyron Williams was on more fantasy championship rosters than any other players but i will just you know caution a little bit chris that hey yes let's try to have all the information possible that's great but just remember not every single one of these reports is going to work out as well as it did with kyron last team i want to talk about chris because it's almost like we don't we almost wrote them off and like we're not maybe giving this two game stretch as much attention as it deserves but 
Mason Rudolph is playing spectacular for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Yeah. Small yeah. sample size. Can't state that enough. Put that in huge letters. Small sample size. Among quarterbacks, though, of 50-plus dropbacks, he's second in EPA per dropback, first in completion percentage over expected, first in passer rating, first in yards per attempt. I mean, out of, you know, on the high side of things, Chris, you could say this is, this is Flacco-esque. On the worst side, though, this is like a Jake Browning-level performance, and I mean that with a ton of respect. Browning was having numbers up there with Purdy. He still does have a lot of numbers that are up there in the top five. Yeah, you can put the film on. You can see the low ADOT. I know I'm not saying he's going out there and doing anything better than Joe Burrow ever was, but you know, Chris, George Pickens all of a sudden is looking like that beastly second-year wide receiver. A lot of his truths were hoping he could be. Deontay Johnson's still getting open. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren are actually forming in a nice and pretty formidable one-two punch in the backfield. And yeah, guess what? TJ Watt and that defense are balling out. Mm -hmm. I would take the Browns over the Steelers right now, but I don't think their late-season ascensions are all that different. No, but I, I think that it's just it's just something about the team. That is yeah. like we we just know that at some point the wheels are going to fall off. It just feels that way at some point. It does. And it's, it does. it's it's tough. It's like whatever, you know, voodoo magic that Mike Tomlin has in order to create these winning seasons, like 17 straight like winning seasons. It's I mean, it's ridiculous, like how 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 he's able to like continue and sustain this levels of success. But I have to agree. I mean, they completely smoked the Bengals. Uh, when they played against them, like I was thinking that was going to be a game that Cincinnati could get over on them and mm -hmm. continue like working them into the playoff race. And after I kept seeing like bomb to George Pickens, bomb to George Pickens. And then, of course, like the the running game, like being as effective as it was. Uh, I mean, the fact that not only were they allowing Rudolph to still pass, I mean, the drop back, uh, drop back over expectation rate like started to pick up as compared to Mitch Trubisky's. But passing downfield, like I had assumed that was part of the reason why they went away from Mitch Trubisky. How many plays on third and three was Trubisky just like dropping back and then just chucking it like 30 yards downfield? I thought they were going to rein it in. Just be like, okay, like we just want you to throw five yards, not 50, bro. Like just, just keep it, just keep the ball moving. You don't have to like, you know, you don't have to display the fact that you can throw the ball 30 to 40 yards downfield. But they came out with this aggressive game plan for Rudolph. And so continue, like the fact that it's continued over the past couple of weeks, I think that goes to show the level of confidence that they have in Rudolph and also the confidence that they have in, in the receiving talent that they, that they have between Pickens and uh, Pickens, Johnson, and then Fryermuth. And with the running game playing like as it has, uh, they have at least a shot at the playoffs. But I do think like to your point, if they want to play in the Browns, I mean, there's almost no, I cannot see a way that they can get past Cleveland at this point. So again, as you mentioned, kudos to Tomlin for racking up another season over 500. That truly is incredible what he's doing. And hey, again, Mason Rudolph, I didn't even, honestly, Chris, like I was just surprised he still even had this roster. So I probably like laughed during our Steelers team preview over the summer. He's going out there and playing really good football though. So just goes to show you guys, you know, as much as we have these, oh, that quarterback sucks, you know, really, if you aren't a top 15 quarterback on planet earth, you're, you're probably going to be told you suck at some point. That's how hard it is to do at the NFL level. Kudos to Rudolph for putting together the best two-game stretch of his career at a time where I know a bunch of people, including myself, had wrote him off. So best of luck to him and the Steelers. Hopefully they can make it into the postseason. 
Two more questions, guys, but first I want to give a shout out to our lovely sponsors over at DraftKings. The new year is officially here. No matter how your team did, everyone gets to start fresh in 2024. We've teamed up with DraftKings. If you're a new customer, you can take advantage of this fresh new offer they have because right now, new customers who bet just $5 will get $150 in bonus bets instantly. Get your new year off to a great start by downloading the DraftKings app and sign up using my promo code QUESTIONS. If you're already signed up for DraftKings, you can get a no-sweat bet and get a bonus bet back if your same-game parlay bet does not hit. Max reward limits apply. And if you're a fan of multiple teams and want to bet on all of them, no problem. Combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, sorry, but not to worry. You can still join in on all the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers who use the promo code QUESTIONS and bet that $5 will again get $150 back in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code QUESTIONS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, Chris, I'll be honest. Didn't expect us to be going pretty much an hour on some of these topics we've had already. Great talking to you, bud, but we'll keep the uh, you know key lessons here away from the three to five we were playing and maybe just stick to our single favorite one. I swear, man, like right. we, we'll have these podcasts, and I've told you before, like, yeah, we'll probably go 30 minutes or something. Yeah. It's week 18, not that much to talk about. You know, we could probably sit here for three hours, brother, and that's why I love you. But let's get into, again, question number four. Any key lessons we learned from 2023 in fantasy football land, Chris? Hopefully you have uh, one of them. Give me uh, the biggest thing you learned this year. Uh, the biggest one that I've I've learned. I had like I had two or three. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just give you the, the highlight one. Uh, no more elite tight ends. I'm, I'm done with it. No, we're done <laughs> with it. Okay. After Travis Kelsey, Matt, Mark Andrews getting hurt, Sam Laporta, and like some of the late round guys like showing up, I'm done. But the biggest thing that I've 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 picked up over the, over this past season, coaching matters, like point blank, simple. I mean, it sounds simplistic, but at the same time, we were talking about CJ Stroud earlier. Of course, when he came out, like his like quarterback profile, we thought he was going to be one of, if not the top quarterback in this class, despite the fact Bryce Young got the nod uh, ahead of him from a draft, uh, draft perspective. Um, but it's not just the talent. It's also, and I mentioned him earlier, I mean, having both D'Amico Ryans, who's more defensive-minded, but D'Amico also bringing over Bobby Slowick from the 49ers, uh, from the 49ers staff, having that development or that pairing, a high-end talent with one of the engineers of one of the more uh, efficient offenses in the game, I mean, that's just, that that marriage or that, that you know, that, that combination is something that I know I took for granted. And that was part of the reason why I was off a lot of the, like just the Houston passing game in general. I know it was a, like a value proposition. You have one of the top quarterbacks in the draft surrounded by what we thought was going to be good talent. I know you, like, I think it was you, me and Dwayne, like we all talked about like Tank Dell being one of the like top, top end uh, wide receiver prospects. We knew Nico to be pretty solid. So it was just like, but still the coaching aspect of it like really started like really high, was highlighted throughout the season, seeing him go on what could have been not just the uh, rookie player of the year, but also he was in conversations for like just the MVP of the league at, at one point, like throughout yeah. the season. So not, and it wasn't just him, Baker Mayfield. We talked about him earlier, Dave Canales quarterbacks coach for the Seattle Seahawks that helped bring Geno Smith back into the fantasy limelight moves over from, Seattle to become Tampa Bay's offensive coordinator. And lo and behold, we see Baker be just, I mean, just prime Baker trucking the ball downfield. Mike <laughs> Evans hitting his what seventh? Was it uh, no? Uh, how many thousand yard seasons? Like for, oh, like for 10. Mike Evans? 10. Yes. Thank you. 
10 straight like thousand yard seasons for for him whereas throughout the off season it was oh baker mayfield uh yeah i mean he'll probably keep things like relatively conservative you know, probably just be more underneath throws to guys like Chris Godwin. Uh, maybe we'll look at, you know, Rashad White, which was a good call at the time as being like one of the guys you'd yep. want to target. Maybe Kate Otten in the late rounds of the tight end, but mostly short area stuff for Baker Mayfield. Hell no. The man was like rolling out, like chucking like 40 yard touchdowns to Mike Evans because Dave Canales knew like what he was comfortable with doing, how to unlock the best parts of Baker Mayfield. And we've seen that so far this season. And of course, last one, the easiest one, Sean McVay and the freaking Rams. Yeah. The man was, what, uh, just an inch away from retiring, decides to come back. And we just see it's not just, and he doesn't have Cooper Cup for what's the first month of the season. Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, doesn't matter if like their draft capital. They wind up having just one of the best seasons like so far from an efficiency standpoint, and they're in the freaking playoffs. So it's like coaching matters. And I think that we as we as fantasy people, I think we do like we we rank the players and we see so much and we think about the players like as who they are and like the offense as they're as they're a part of. And really only the the big name coaches matter. The Sean McVay's, the Kyle Shanahan's of the world. I mean, those are the guys that that really matter. But now I think and of course, like Mike McDaniel, of course, as well. But I think now, like over this past season, like trying to figure out at least like on the extremes, like who are the good guys? Who are the guys that really know how to put their put their players in the best chance to win and identifying like who is going to be attached to some of those offenses and also have the talent to enable that from a fantasy production standpoint? I mean, that's where that's one of my biggest lessons for this year and one of the things that I'll try and pay a bit more attention to like throughout the offseason, seeing how we might have a bit of a you know coaching turnover, like for the Chargers, the Patriots, I mean, a couple other teams as well that are going to have some fantasy-relevant coaching changes this offseason. And again, it's easier in hindsight to look at all this and say, oh, yeah, we knew they were going to be awesome this year. But to your point, really focusing on, again, even if it's only five or six coaches that we're just fully feeling great about and just knowing how smart they are offensively in particular, like we should be giving them the benefit of the doubt. I understand the 2022 Rams were a dog shit offense, but when you add in the injuries and when you just look at the previous five years of Sean McVay with, you know, various levels of quarterback and going on, we should have still been more than aware that Sean McVay was still a very good football coach and accordingly been willing to at least, Chris, throw some darts more as someone like Kyron Moore. Williams and as the offseason in August went on, someone like Puka Nakua. And on the other side of things, I think that continuity factor is something that I know I'll make I'll be making sure we focus a lot more on during mm -hmm. the offseason. I mean, look at Shane Steichen going from Philly and really not dooming that offense, but certainly, you know, we've seen them have their struggles throughout the year and going on to Indy and helping enable a top 10 scoring offense, even after losing the number four overall pick, you know, just a short month or two into the season. Similar phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, similar phenomenon with Eric Bieniemy going from Kansas City to Washington. Like, you know, okay, I'm not saying we should have been out on the Chiefs or the Eagles or anything like that. We've still seen a lot of good fantasy, you know, production come from those offenses. But, hey, man, when the guy calling the plays or at least pretty responsible for calling the plays does leave for another team, certainly deserves a longer look than we maybe gave it, Chris. Yeah, exactly. And I think to, to your point about Eric Bieniemy, not to say that, I mean, clearly Sam Howell is not lighting the world up, but for a time, he was what, league leading passing yards, Sam Howell, yeah. despite also taking you know, the league's most sacks at the same time. But from a real football standpoint, I think Eric Bieniemy was able to make something out of nothing. And for fantasy purposes, that's all we need. It was just that the fact that we couldn't get the target tree to condense into like two or three guys. It was like, 
Terry McLaurin only getting a few targets, Logan Thomas getting a few targets, but at least Sam Howell was capable of being like at the very least, you know, QB two, you can use like depending on which week uh, you were trying to start him. but there was some fantasy production there. So yeah, I mean, at, well, hell, even on the defensive side, Jonathan Gannon coming over from the Eagles. Well, the, the Eagles, I mean, not the Cardinals rather coming into the season, with no Kyler Murray, they were able to pull out some pretty like legit wins, especially just this past week against Gannon's former team. <laughs> and, and we've also seen like some relatively fantasy friendly weeks out of a couple of guys. Michael Wilson like popped up for a few games. Greg Dortch, James Conner, Trey McBride, of course, being one mm -hmm. of the tight ends that folks are going to be most likely to draft throughout the 2024 offseason. I mean, so there are pieces to that team that we were still relying on from a fantasy perspective, even though, I mean, it was going to be coached by one of the guys that I've seen, like uh, the folks from the ringer, Stephen Reese, call him the cringe lord, especially after that video <laughs> over the offseason. What, the, did you get on the bus today and all this other stuff? I mean, but still, the, the team is, is good, at least good enough for fantasy purposes. So, yeah, coaching matters. And I think that is one thing that I think a lot of folks, we kind of take for granted as we focus again on just the fantasy portion. I was just completely convinced Jonathan Gannon was the real life version of Kendall Roy. And, you know, wrote him oh, off yeah. a little bit more than I should have just because of that one, Chris. But I have uh, three lessons here. Just I'll breeze by the first two. Don't underestimate high end volume uh, elderly wide receivers, you know, from mm -hmm. just going out there and keeping on, keeping on. Because whether it was Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Stefan Diggs, like even Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup were still top 25 producers, even if they didn't exactly help you, you know, relative to ADP. I have a feeling. I Wide receiver 22. I mean, even DeAndre Hopkins pretty much met value as a wide receiver 33 throughout the year. So varying circumstances, various, you know, offenses going on there. But again, if we're like Keenan Allen, for example, the only bad thing we could have said about him was his age. And I think we probably just pinged him too badly on that, especially when the guy isn't even banged up going into the year, a la more so someone like Cooper Cup. So just really keep an eye on that one. And if the only thing that you have against them is, again, that age, maybe just give a second look and at least see if that's being baked fully into their ADP would also say don't assume a quarterback change will be a good thing just because the last one sucked I think the three you know biggest clear-cut instances of this were in uh, Las Vegas with the Raiders oh Derek Carr blows now we're moving on to Jimmy G how could it be worse yeah you know it ended up being worse and obviously when Aiden O'Connell comes in there things just never quite fully recovered with the Falcons going from Marcus Mariota to Desmond Ritter I mean my god some of the hype for Ritter this year even though we had a four-game sample of him sucking was absolutely ridiculous to me and then with the Panthers even going, you know, into the Bryce Young era. Yes, we did see how CJ Stroud can go to Houston, you know, turn that group around. So I'm not saying this is the end all be all, but especially if we're not moving on to a quarterback with high end draft pedigree like the Atlanta Falcons, and we have evidence of the quarterback not being very good like the Atlanta Falcons. Let's give an extra long look towards not only the quarterback, but also the associated pass catchers. But Chris, my main one here is I just want to be much more diligent about attacking these uncertain backs backfields inside of offenses that we expect to be good. So this is kind of going back to your point about focusing more on the coaching staffs. I mean, I'm not saying we were out on Raheem Mostert or Devin Achan. I know I actually hyped up Achan a good bit, you know, during uh, July, especially in team preview season, but like, those two guys should have been circled, highlighted, and just every single draft, whether you're going zero RB or freaking robust RB, there's no reason why we shouldn't have been more in on those guys out where they were going. I think a similar sentiment is true when looking at Kyron Williams at the end of drafts, at least as a handcuff, because we already knew how great Sean McVay's offense could be for running backs and how rocky that relationship had already been with Cam Akers. And even guys, Chris, like James Cook, Isaiah Pacheco, and DeAndre Swift, 
we knew the Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles were going to have high-scoring offenses. We were just a little bit unsure about the backfield pecking order. And accordingly, all these guys, man, I know James Cook started heating up, you know, down the stretch in August, similar love for DeAndre Swift. But even then, we're talking about guys that usually weren't even cracking the top 20 at the position. So, again, I don't want to get too, you know, just acting like we can now be geniuses because we're talking about it in hindsight but mm -hmm. just in week 17 man Brees hall was the only top five ppr scorer at the position who carried an adp inside the top 60 picks before the season started so i know a lot of people look at all this and they say oh yeah that's just the exact reason why zero rb and hero rb needs to be how you approach every draft Guess what? Last year, I did utilize those strategies more. But, Chris, it is legal to draft really good running backs early and also draft the right running backs late. It's not like zero RB teams were the only ones allowed to use fab on Kyron Williams in week one. I think the bigger story, you know, just overall draft strategy aside, is, again, embracing the uncertainty in some of these muddled backfields, especially in a Miami versus one like Chicago, where we had far bigger questions about the mm -hmm. overall scoring upside. Yeah, and I think that's I think you you nailed it right there. It's not just tar like targeting any uncertain backfield, but it's targeting uncertain backfields and offenses that we know will be productive for fantasy yeah. purposes. So while it was yeah, going to be Khalil Herbert, going to be Roshan uh, Roshan Johnson. I mean, uh, well, oh, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> who cares? Because like the, the relative scoring compared to like the backfields that we want to target, whether it's going to be the Bills or the Eagles. I mean, so yeah, I think that's where that I think that's where it becomes like more purposeful, like it, for us to like try and at least look into or take a stance on it. Like, remember when we were like, uh, what was it? The report that Rashad Penny like got the first carry like in training yes. camp, and it was like, oh man, got to draft Rashad Penny, got to get in all all of that, and it was like, but and then like we just took that information, and literally ran with it, like and that, that was it. But it was like, oh, okay, but like, is there any other chance that Swift could maybe like be the one to be the RB one or? Maybe Kenny Gainwell like starts to like factor in for a little bit. So it's like those type of situations, I think for sure are going to be one of those that I'm also going to like try and be a bit more cautious about before just like rolling all in, just saying, yep, that guy's going to be the RB one, just draft that guy. And that's it. And again, you're not going to hit on all of them. I know we had some darts to Clyde edwards and Jeff Wilson not go the way we wanted. But guess what, guys? It's pretty hard to hit on every single 17th, 18th round pick that we're going to be, you know, trying to get. So at a minimum, let's try to make the process around them stronger. And then hopefully we get some hits here in later years. Takes us, Chris, to our last question here. Sponsored by DraftKings. What is your one bold prediction ahead of week 17? I am going to be rolling, Chris, with Cowboys wide receiver Brandon Cooks torching Washington to the tune of five catches, 125 yards, and not one but two touchdowns. So definitely going to be taking advantage of this in advantage of this in my DFS lineups because, again, we have the perfect marriage of the Cowboys very much wanting to win the division, getting at least one home game in Jerry World where they're 8-0 this season against a Washington defense that, let's face it, got absolutely torched by them the first time around, 300-plus yards and four scores on Thanksgiving. Now is presumably going to be potentially resting their starters based on vibes. I still just can't get over how great of a report that is. And then just, just again, even if they weren't resting their starters, Chris, this was still standing out as one of the best matchups on paper with Dak Prescott, CD, and Brandon Cooks going up against this squad. So Washington, if you want to dig even deeper, bottom three defense, yards per attempt, touchdown rate allowed on the deep pass is 20 plus yards downfield that cooks himself specializes in so i know i've only got that one game above 100 this year but as we know what cooks doesn't take many targets in order for him to go ahead and hit a big player too i think he gets it done this sunday in style and the cowboys blow out the commanders in washington chris bull call for week 18.
My bold call for week 18 is Demarcus Robinson goes over 100 yards and scores a touchdown. And I'd say like over 100 yards and at least one touchdown because he needs 95 yards in order to set a new career high for a single season yardage right now. I think he's like around like 490 or somewhere in there or no, like 400 and 400 some change. He needs about like just short of 100 yards in order to set a new season high. He's currently tied for the most touchdowns he's ever had, uh, like in a single season at four. He hits both like uh, hits the over on both of those like 100 yards at least one touchdown new career high and if McVeigh is already talking about like getting Puka Naku in there for his what like 19 or 20 yards that he needs in order to set the record he cares about stuff like that I think he winds up leaving him in especially right now since like D Rob has essentially played as their like wide receiver three ish hybrid over 90 percent of the routes or around 90 percent of the routes over the past month actually over the last four games Demarcus Robinson has been the team lead in air yards. Uh, since like week 14. So I think right now, like with, I know it's going to be Carson Wentz, but we know Carson Wentz would love to like, you know, to chuck it downfield if he possibly could. So we're not going to have any Cooper cup, not going to have like Puka Nakua, at least for most of the game. I'm assuming that's going to be a fairly quick 19 yards and he's out of there. I do think it's going to be like a rotation of D Rob, some Tutu Atwell, some Ben Skoranek with D Rob, like being the wide receiver one over hundred yards and a touchdown for D Rob at 4,500 on DraftKings. I think that's about like the right area for a guy that should be getting a pretty decent amount of volume, especially in a game that I'm assuming we haven't seen the word yet, but I'm assuming that the 49ers are going to be resting some of their defensive starters as well. So it might be a little bit easier for the Rams to move the ball down the field. So I like D-Rob for over 100 yards and a touchdown in week 18. I am absolutely going to be making now some Wentz, D-Rob, and Tutu Atwell stacks. Come on, man. Let's do it. We <laughs> look, do it. Wentz, Wentz is a bad quarterback. I get that. We've seen enough to you know go ahead and conclude that, but the dude did throw 27 touchdowns with the Colts in 2021. Like exactly. even when he has been post MVP contender once form. And I know the injury didn't help with that. I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but Hey man, again, we've seen him be able to put up some numbers and just call him back to one of those lessons. I just mentioned about not always assuming that, you know, the grass is going to be greener with that new quarterback. Look at the 2022 Colts when they have Matt Ryan there instead of Carson Wentz. So always comes back around Chris, but Hey, great stuff. My man, everyone can find your work over at fantasylife.com. Always doing fantastic matchups of the week rankings roundtable i know you helped put together all that and much much more so chris thank you my brother and guess what we'll be back here next thursday breaking down more top questions ahead of the wild card round at that point cannot wait to get into some playoff football action so for chris for producer james i'm ian thanks again for tuning in the fantasy life podcast and until next time take care everybody